The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Father Joseph Sund. Hey, Father. Good to be with you guys. So uh, I want to, before we get into the show, tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network. You're sure to enjoy. And this is a special one for me because this is a new show. It's not even out yet. Uh, it's uh, as... We drop this show. It'll be about a week away. We'll be introducing a new show called The Secrets of Sacred Art, and it features uh, Catherine Lafferty and Alex Murray, who are themselves artists. They're also super geeks, Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, all that sort of stuff. They're they're huge uh, geek fans, and they're on other podcasts on the network, but they're also sacred artists themselves. And so they're going to be taking us on a journey through sacred art to explore what is what is sacred art and what can you learn from it and what does it tell us about all that is good and true and beautiful in the world? So you want to check that out. Uh, that'll be, as I said, it'll be dropping on September 27th. Okay, <laughs> I want to make sure I have the right date. And uh, you'll find that in all the usual podcast directories or at sqpn.com slash sacred art. You might want to give it a, few, a little, if, if you go on September 27th and look for it in your directory or app or whatever and it's not there some of them take a little uh, while to catch up but uh, if you go to our website it'll definitely be there so excellent so let's get that into, sounds like a really good one yes it's i've been we've been working on this for a long time for months now and uh, there's some really good content there so yeah i really definitely encourage people to check it out so we've got some uh feedback we wanted to start with and first is a question a listener question and listener mike sent in this email he says years back 2009, I set up two Gmail accounts. One I still use all the time, this one I'm mailing, emailing you with, and one with a non-identifying email address trying at the time to protect my identity to some degree. Well, I haven't logged into the non-identifying email for years. It's the username for some of my older accounts, and it still auto-forwards everything it receives to this email address. But I can't get into it. The password is long forgotten. I use one password now, uh, now, so never a problem. But you can imagine the frustration when the reset password links sent to that address expire by the time it forwards to this one. It's been so long, the password recovery methods they have now, or had then, and I didn't understand that I should set them up, have failed me. And of course, call a person? Nope. Can't find that avenue either. Am I missing something? Do you know a way I can get back control of my old Gmail address? So uh, when he sent this in, uh, Pat Scott emailed him back and they had a little bit of back and forth. And she said, suggested two things. Uh, she said, if you have a paid Google service, like if you're paying for Google Fiber or a Google Nest service or you have a Google One account that has, you know, storage or whatever. But if you're giving Google money, there's usually a, a higher tier support that you can contact. So that might help. Um, and it was also a, a link to uh, a support document on Google for how to recover your Google account or Gmail. And there's a whole bunch of steps and links in there that 
uh, you might try. But this is a this is not an unusual problem, you know, especially now that many of us have had various online accounts for a long, long time. I've had times where I've tried to get into an old account and I the password doesn't work or something has gone wrong and I just cannot get into it and I've had to abandon it. Uh, it that That's very frustrating. Yeah, it's always good to make sure that you have a backup uh, account set up on those accounts. So if you can't get into it, you can use the reset method through that. But it sounds like one of the situations where he didn't set that up. And I totally get that. Like, I've got tons of orphaned accounts that I'm never going to be able to get back into. If he set it up long ago enough, maybe the password's password123 or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wonder if he's tried all those. The thing that drives me crazy are these time limited account recovery things where, you know, uh, this code is good for the next five minutes and it always takes 10 minutes for the email to forward. That just mm-hmm. drives me batty. You know, uh, I, I hate that. And if the forward set it up as like an IMAP forwarding, that might be limited life through Google as well. So, right. and it is two Gmail accounts, so it should be internal. Mm-hmm to them that they should be able to, you know, it should be fast, but apparently it isn't. So, uh, it's really, uh, frustrating. I, I, I sympathize, Mike. Uh, we did get another bit of feedback uh, from listener Rashad who sent in on our YouTube channel, this comment on our last episode about the iPhone 15 announcements. Uh, Rashad says, I think the most significant announcement was how the iPhone ultra by which I think he means the iPhone 15 max pro max max pro max pro max would be able to shoot (laughs) AR VR footage that can be read and seen by the Apple vision as the vision comes down in price, really taking advantage of the platform's mixed reality nature is going to be big for games and film and TV. I think like sharing a mountain climbing video or first person shorts and movies. The spatial video is probably also why they're increasing cloud storage options. I expect those videos will take up a massive amount of space relative to HD or regular video. Yeah, I I would imagine yeah. so. They they have to be yeah. such high resolution. Um, but yeah, I I think what happens with these things is a lot of the times the announcements they make they now they you only understand their significance much later. Like the new thing about with the Apple Watch with the pinching gesture, which is very similar to the pinching gestures we see in the vision or uh, things like the, the the long time they spent talking about how good the gaming graphics are on an iPhone. You're thinking, well, why is that important? Well, probably because the same chip that's in the new iPhones is going to be in whatever the next new iPad is going to be. And that'll be more significant or the next Apple TV or, you know what I mean? So they, they announce this stuff now and then you're like, I don't make sense. And then you're like, Oh, later on, now we have the rest of the story, which is like watching that original vision pro announcement and seeing the dad taking the video of his daughters at the birthday party with this massive, scary thing on his head. You're like, nobody's going to want to do everybody said, nobody's going to want to do that. Well, (laughs) now if you get the phone, you'll do that instead and you'll capture the 3d video. So I, I agree Rashad. It's, it's big. I'm just thinking of those videos and the automatic upload to your photo stream on iCloud. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping there's some, um, stop gap there to stop your large videos from automatically going to the iCloud and still sync your photos. Yeah. There's already settings for limiting how much will go up over your cellular connection versus Wi-Fi, like wait to Wi-Fi to sync for large stuff. So 
but there there's not a like there's no setting to what I've been able to find to see a difference of only upload my photos and don't upload my videos. I'm not sure I'd want to do that. Like only upload photos. Why wouldn't I want to get my videos into the cloud? Um, if I'm doing this super high def, that's going to take up my entire iCloud account. Well, <laughs> I want to get it off my phone because I have less room on my phone, but that's don't true. forget they have the new uh, straight to hard drive option too, where you can capture you can connect a, draw, a hard drive or a Mac to it you can, with a, you know, tethered and go right to that, too. So I'm going to think oh, okay. um, if I'm taking a lot of AR VR video on my new Apple Max, I, you know, iPhone Max Pro, I'm going to get a an SSD or something and yeah, and save that. You're also not limited to USB 2.0 speeds anymore, which is nice. Yes, yes. In fact, it's USB 4 on the the uh pros which is yeah amazing and the thing is i'm not gonna have a vision pro or otherwise for a long time you know that's that's not it not in the family budget but as soon as i can start taking videos that way i will because i presume someday i will have that and my kids will and i want to have if if i could have been taking higher def photos long before i had a high def computer screen i wish i did because all those photos from before the era when I had really nice phone cameras are all low res and you know what I mean? So I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward ahead and saying, I want it like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the last thing I'll say about that is because you have to hold the phone sideways to take the AR VR video, that means that we'll have, we'll go back to the day of the proper way of taking video, which is landscape. <laughs> I have long said that I wish that when you held your phone in, portrait mode for video it would just like not even let you record and tell you to flip it over (laughs) yes i hate that video (laughs) i do purposely troll my students that i'll bring them in to take a selfie and start out in portrait mode just to troll them (laughs) (laughs) so uh thank you both for your feedback we love getting feedback on the show and uh, we like to be able to help and answer questions when we can so if you have questions Definitely drop them in the email or YouTube or social media or our, our Discord. We, we, we do our best to help out. So let's get to our main topic, which is something fun. I thought, and these are the, the two people I, I knew I wanted to talk to about this. This is the Steam Deck is this amazing handheld gaming device from the company Valve. It's a dedicated game portable game game device it's got a nice big screen on it it's got controls and it has access to the whole valve library of games and uh but it's it's a it's more than just a game machine it's a powerful linux computer as as uh, we've talked about before and so one of the things we talk about is what what else could you do with this besides just gaming and so we did a little research and so we want to talk about this so uh, you know, it is a real Linux computer with a real Linux operating system on it. So what else can we do? And so let's start with the basic question is why? Why would we want to do something besides just keep this as a gaming device? What would be the point? Is it just a gimmick? I think it's, I mean, really, if you're into minimalism, you, you got your computer right there and your game device. Uh, you plug it into, of course, you're going to need a keyboard and a monitor and a mouse because... 
trying to control it with just the joysticks and the little touchpads and an on-screen keyboard would be miserable. But yeah. you plug it into a USB-C dock just like any other laptop, and you've got a full desktop. Have you have you tried to use the mouse on the ordinary Steam yes. Deck? Oh, yes. Oh, That's my terrible. goodness. I My fingers are way too fat for that. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one of the things is, I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, this is a $450 device. It is, it's not inexpensive. You're, you're dropping a, I think it's 450 I forget now exactly what it is, but it, it's not. A, yeah. the, the lowest model is, yes. Yeah, it's not an inexpensive device. I mean, it's inexpensive compared to, you know, say my new cell phone, but it's, it's, you know, you're still dropping hundreds of dollars on it. So you might as well get as much utility out of it as possible, but it's also designed to be a portable device. And so you can take it with you. And even if you have a very small portable keyboard, the screen is, well, it's at least the size of an iPad mini, right? Yeah. It's seven inches. So actually to correct you on the price currently, um, it is three hundred fifty nine dollars for the sixty four gigabyte and four fifty for the two fifty six. Um, the highest price would be your five twelve at five hundred twenty bucks. Oh, nice. okay, okay. Uh, which you might want to get if you want the extra storage and all that other stuff. If you're going to use it for these these extra things, one of the things it does really well is it does have that micro SD card slot, and surprisingly, on the gaming side of things. The performance from the SD cards, I can't notice too much of a difference. There's a little bit of a lag, but it's not on load time, but it's not too much of a difference. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's also very easy to swap out the uh, internal SSD. If, if, if you're at all comfortable opening up electronics, it's not a hard swap to do at all. This is a device made for people who... It, it's out, You could use it out of the box just fine, but I feel like Valve is really looking at if you really want to tinker a little bit, we're fine with that. If you want to <laughs> dig in a little bit, you know, that's fine. We're, 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 we're tinkerers too. That's what it feels like when, when you, when you get this. And that's, what's nice about the cost is that, yeah, if you look at it as just a handheld gaming system, like a switch four fifty is pretty, pretty expensive for a toy. But if you're in the market for a new computer, four fifty is not a lot for a computer, especially one that can do most basic tasks. As right. this one can. It can also record a live stream, we're hoping. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> because uh, as we as we record this, Father, you, you are recording not on your usual desktop Mac. I am recording on my Steam Deck here. Actually, usually, depending on the day, um, usually I'm recording from a Linux box. So. Oh, okay. I was, I was hoping that we could get Dom to record on the... Um, Steam Deck, and then we could have the whole universe align and everyone be on a Linux box recording, but <laughs> not happening. You can pry my Mac out of my cold dead hands. Uh, plus, I was, as Father can attest, I was a little skeptical of whether this would work, but you know, you're streaming. We have, we use the StreamYard service for video. We see each other on the, on the video screen and you're streaming it on the Steam Deck and recording to it at the same time. Uh, so if, if you all are listening to this, which is still, you know, possible that that it works. So that's the first non gaming use we can talk about. So do you want to, 
how how was this setup for that? Because that's something that I tried, and I had a couple issues with the uh, the driver compatibility for the hardware, and I just didn't have the time to suss it out. But how did you, how did you go about that, and how was that? Yeah, so um, I had to first. I went through and set up the web browser. I had to do everything in Firefox. Chrome really didn't play well with it. Firefox seems to play a little better with the Steam Deck on those things and StreamYard in particular, which I think we've found on other platforms as well, that Firefox and Safari play better than Chrome recently for yes. which... StreamYard itself says Firefox is better, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the like one-time Firefox has actually won a recent battle, but I say that as a Firefox fan. So set up the audio there. I have a USB interface that's running both my headphones and my microphone together. And then I set up the Audacity. Honestly, it wasn't too bad compared to my other ones. I usually run Arch Linux, which is the distribution that the flavor that this is running on the Steam Deck, so I'm really used to that. So that might be part of the in and outs there. I don't know. Nice. And you, you said you have the do- a dock that you're connecting to. Is it the, the one from Steam, from Valve? It is not. One of the other things that I was just thinking through when Jack was saying he was setting his up is often when you're trying to run it as a computer, if you use the factory USB-C charger, it doesn't have enough to be powering the other devices and so that might mm-hmm. have some so i pulled out a more powerful USB-C charger to make sure i had the mm. technical term of oomph there <laughs> <laughs> so there is a steam sale that unfortunately ends tomorrow uh or today as the uh, episode drops um but the dock itself is usually around 80 90 dollars the Steam, the one from Steam, there are third-party docs you can get. You can find them all over Amazon. So you can, there, there was those as well, um, with varying amounts of connectivity, you know, at ports and that sort of thing on them. And uh, so, uh, you know, it would be if you want to do something like this, it might be something to look at because you do want that connectivity for monitors, webcams, mice. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can Bluetooth. It has Bluetooth, but um, you know, you could you can also connect directly wired. I'll have to go through my Amazon history and pull up which dock mine is, and I can drop that in the show notes there. Okay, good. Yeah, and you don't need a dock that is specifically designed for the Steam Deck. A lot of those are nice because it gives you a place to set it up, and it, it looks nice, but any USB-C dock that works with a computer is going to work fine for the Steam Deck. Right, the one I get for my iPad works, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. All right, so let's talk about some of the things you can do with it besides podcasting uh there we'll have a couple of articles and one of the articles is uh it's you know steam deck for business and they go through some of the uh things you can do like we mentioned it has a built-in firefox web browser and thus anything you can do in a web browser web applications that you use in a web browser can be used that way Uh, but you can install other browsers but firefox is the one that comes with it and um you can, like we mentioned, in, in, connect the external monitor, keyboard, and mouse. You can install Office suites like LibreOffice. We've talked about that before. It's a uh, open source uh, uh, Office suite. You know, word processor, mm-hmm. spreadsheets, presentations, that sort of thing. 
you can put uh, email software on it, text editors. Um, you can even do image and audio and video editing, which I don't recommend. I mean, the, it's a it's a nice little computer, but it really, I, I would think the, I mean, it has to have some good graphics to play the video games, but I don't know if it has the oomph to really do editing. What do you think? I've actually uh, installed Reaper on mine, and I've played around with doing audio recordings on it. I plug in, plug it into the dock, plug in a MIDI keyboard, and install different virtual instruments on it. And all the limitations that I've run into with that are limitations that come from using Linux, not from the hardware on the Steam Deck itself. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess it does have to have some pretty good, you know, a GPU to to do the mm-hmm. the the games. Yeah, I guess. I mean. It sounds actually like an interesting day if you want to have like a portable recording studio, you know, you yeah. take it somewhere, record music or record podcasts on the road or whatever. I wonder if it would connect to my mixer. That would be a fun little experiment. It probably would without any issues. I've plugged it into the uh, whatever that brand is that we use, the Focusrite. It works fine on that. Huh. My my current setup right now, as we're streaming, I just felt the back of it because Sometime the Steam Deck, one of its shortcomings is in intense gaming, it does get a little warm. Yeah. And it's it's about the normal temperature of regular gaming right now. So it's not doing a bad job. And you can buy a coolers made for it to like to that you know, mm-hmm. um they blow air on it and keep you know and draw the hot air away from it. So uh you, you could these things already exist for the gaming purpose and they'd be even better for this purpose as well. And one thing you should mention, battery life is not going to be great. Like it's fine for gaming, but um you're gonna wanna plug it in for any extended use, that's for sure. Yeah, you wanna make sure definitely. you get plenty of power. And it can be kind of picky. Like like you mentioned, Father, you wanna give us something that gives us some heart some some wattage. <laughs> So it's probably 65 to 100, I think, would be what you want. Unfortunately, my big complaint is the factory adapter that they give you with it is not adequate. Yeah, I I, yeah, I would I would say so. Other things you can do with it, uh, you can I mentioned the audio uh, editing. One thing you can't do is print out of the box like it doesn't have printing the printing subsystem for Linux installed called cups. You can install it, but that requires some extra steps. This, when you fiddle mm-hmm. with the systems, you have to do a lot of extra things. So it's not, it's not plug and play. You kind of have to know what you're doing to do it. But uh, so not out of the box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And part of, part of this has to do with the fact of how it sets up the file system. Basically it sets it up in a way of which, the changes that you make on the computer aren't happening to the file system that runs the operating system in itself. It packages things to be separate. And so it's kind of protecting the operating system from you messing it up too much. The disadvantage of that is when I make those changes, if there's a major update to SteamOS, which is the underbelly of what's running everything, all of those administrative changes I've made can be undone. Um, that doesn't mean my files are going to be deleted in my home folder or anything like that. But what it does mean is, it, say I installed the printer subsystem there, 
it might just wash that away. And so unfortunately um, that can happen. Right. So another thing I think is really cool is you can install Kindle for Linux if you have uh, a lot of Amazon Kindle books and read books on this screen, which again is a pretty nice screen uh, for, for the, yeah. you know, for just, even if you're just doing reading. Uh, so uh, it's a, <laughs> if you go on vacation and you don't want to take too many devices, you know, you, you want to play some games, you can also bring this and you can use it as your, as your e-reader. They also make some uh, cool cases that I've seen that have a little keyboard built into the front. It kind of flips open like a clamshell I think that'd be pretty nice if you want something small, like go to a coffee shop and write on like mm -hmm. you don't need all the uh, accoutrements for that when you're setting that up. So it's it's good if you just want something to jot notes down on or I've even thought about at some point in the future trying to program a game on the Steam Deck itself, like in Linux or in a Python or something like that. Yeah. And then play it right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's really that's a good idea. Um, you can even install Blender, which is a 3D modeling software on it, which is kind of fascinating. Although I've manipulating those teeny tiny controls. <laughs> oof, yeah, I've seen videos of people doing it and Blender does require some high processing power when you're using big parts of it. And it looks like it mm. works well. Now, apparently you can connect if you have an Oculus or now I'm showing my. <laughs> a MetaQuest VR headset, you can actually connect it. You can like a cable to cable connection using the, uh, the special cable thing of you and play VR games on it. Although I'm, ge I'm guessing it's not the higher end VR games, the ones that are more demanding. Nevertheless, you can play some VR games, but you can, you can also have a big virtual screen that you're playing your game on in front of you too. So, you mm -hmm. know, if you, if you don't want to, you be the virtual screen makes it look really huge. So you, it, if you don't have to have a big TV in the same room, you can just use the virtual screen, which is kind of an interesting idea. I, I kind of like that idea. So, um, and, uh, I'm just trying to think of other things, uh, making music there. You can put, um, home automation stuff on it, which I don't know that I would want to, um, you, you know, like, keep my whole steam deck just for that you know just i, I don't know that would that yeah. seems to be overkill yeah what, what it looked like this article was talking about was to load your home, home automation server interface in the web browser and control it from there um okay. it's what it looked like they were doing because it showed yeah it showed the interface of the web browser which is normally how you would interact so that's kind of my guess but yeah, yeah, that yeah. just seems silly yeah. to me. If you use a program called EmuDeck, I think I've talked about that on the show before. It's what you load in all the emulators for for playing games. They have apps in that uh, section now where you can put like YouTube and Discord and even a like a straight link to the browser if you don't want to go out of gaming mode. So you can pull that stuff up all with, with like a nice interface right in the gaming mode of the Steam Deck. Yep. And wow. one of the added added features recently in the Deck is the ability to do the Game Pass streaming through the Chrome browser. So I have done that, and depending on your internet connection, it plays pretty well. So, so you can play your Xbox games mm -hmm. on the Microsoft Xbox Cloud Gaming. Um, if you have a subscription to that, you are able to play those through your Steam Deck um, with a little bit of um, knowledge and 
going through, but the MU deck helps you through that. Right. It's also a good streaming device. Uh, like if you're ever in a hotel, I've actually done this a few times. I'll take a USB-C to HDMI dongle and most of the time you can unplug the HDMI cable from the back of the TV in the hotel, plug it in, and you can stream stuff right from there. Even it, it, like I've done it with games, but you can also do it just if you want to stream Netflix or whatever your own video services are. It's good for that, too. That's kind of so cool. you're not logging into Netflix on some random TV. Which exactly. They claim that they clear the credentials after every person logs out. But yeah, sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a great idea, though. They, they bring it as your portable streaming entertainment device when you're on the road. And, and that's the thing is, is because it's so small and portable, you can and, and it's so versatile, you can bring it to do all kinds of things. And it, it replaces a lot of stuff that you might otherwise put in a travel bag, which I, I really like. One thing that it does really well with emulation, um, I recently raided my old PlayStation 2 game collection and rip those to isos and it does them really well and if you're if you're a college football fan um there's a project called ncaa next which they mod ncaa 2006 with modern rosters and um 4k graphic overlays to bring it up to be a modern game um, which is pretty impressive you know, one of the holy grails, I think, of gaming is to have the all-in-one console device, you know, that does all the majors, you know, whether it's Steam and Xbox and PS3 and all that stuff. All If you could do it all in one place, that would be, you know, PC gaming, all that stuff all in one place. That's the kind of the holy grail. And it seems like we're kind of almost there. With the Game Pass, and I think PlayStation also has a streaming service, we're not like 95% of the way there. I don't think Nintendo's ever going to allow their games to be legitimately played on any other platform though. I'll be surprised you that ever don't happens. Say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, this, uh, this sort of uh loophole that only the most dedicated can get, can get through. Uh, I think that will probably work for a while anyway. I'm, right? I'm sure it will. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, and then the last thing uh, I want to, uh, talk about is it's even used in war. And I think we brought this up once before is in the Ukraine war in, in Ukraine, the uh, Ukrainian military has adapted this steam deck for use in remote controlled machine guns. Uh, these are, you know, machine guns that are on tripods that with cameras on them and they, so that a soldier doesn't have to be exposed to fire. They can look through the, the gun sight in on the screen and manipulate it, control it and shoot with it, which is kind of wild. Um, this is the future of warfare. <laughs> they're not, they're not autonomous. Just point to those, not AI firing this. There's a soldier pressing the trigger. He just happens to be looking through a video camera while he does it. Linux is on the moon and it's fighting our wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Cause I would, presume that a lot of the soldiers who are manning this they probably grew up playing video games oh, yeah. with controllers so it's a very natural uh control scheme to use and because the steam deck is built on linux it's open source so whatever you can write for it that runs on it you can do it well when the defense department was designing the new controls for its modern nuclear submarines they knew that the helmsmen the sailors would be of a generation who are used to c- controls and so 
the controller is basically shaped like an Xbox controller to to pilot a submarine. So <laughs> not a Logitech wireless one, though. No, no. <laughs> and, and these are, you know, probably fifty thousand uh, dollar government contractor versions of the <laughs> yeah. controller as opposed to the sixty dollar one you get off of Amazon. Now, I have to do this. Could you lose the controller, though? And then would they send out a bounty for people to find the controller um, it's under the and cushions have the public is. search for it? There's an there's a, uh, air tag on it. That's all. <laughs> find my submarine. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the and then, Ukrainian um, yeah. game development is huge on the Steam store. So there's a lot of games that are developed out of Ukraine um, on the independent games. And mm. so this isn't surprising that these, that their, you know, their soldier base is the people of Ukraine. And so it probably became the case that these same Steam developers turned around and developed the warfare stuff. Oh, Yeah. Ukraine is like the Silicon Valley of, of Europe. I mean, it, they have a lot of really talented developers there. I've actually mm -hmm. worked with some freelancers out of Ukraine. And one of the oldest Mac software companies was uh, Mac Kiev from back oh, in yes. the 80s, uh, made, making um print shop something. I forget what it was. It was an old, it, to print like greeting cards. I remember that. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they are talented programmers in, in, uh, in Ukraine. Um, so, and then we'll have another article of uh, from a columnist at it's a Tech Radar. Tech Radar, that's what it is. Uh, about how he ditched his work laptop for a Steam Deck to see if he could. Yeah, and he basically he goes through. He did a week uh, just using the Steam Deck as his computer, and he does a lot of what we talked about using a keyboard and a monitor and plugging in and getting getting all the add-ons you're going to need but at the end of the article he talks about how it's a positive experience and he's probably going to use it going forward and he kind of wants to see if he can convince his boss to uh, transition his office over to steam decks rather than laptops so <laughs> more power to him wow that is kind of will they wild. be allowed to take gaming breaks <laughs> i mean, he's gonna know you got you're on the steam deck anyways i'm working boss yeah <laughs> it is tech radar so i guess you could be working it's playing research. games because you're <laughs> researching so excellent all right so uh that does it for that topic uh we would love to hear from folks who might have other ideas for how they could use their steam deck in a non-gaming way and uh, let us know uh, you can send us feedback at technology at sqpn.com or leave us comments wherever you find the, the show uh, before we move on, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Ben H., Andrew S., Sharon Z., Ben D., and Mark G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest and develop new shows like the Secrets of Sacred Art and, and other shows we've got uh, plans for that we just need resources to, to to bring them to fruition so you can help by joining them by visiting sqpn.com slash give so let's uh, we've got some headlines we want to talk about and the first one is an interesting development for a long time apple was one of the big tech companies opposed to the right to repair movement and the right to repair movement is this consumer movement to uh 
make it so that it was easier or at least not a violation of your terms of service to repair your own devices or to bring it to a third-party repair shop. Well, uh, Apple Inc. has endorsed a California law, a right-to-repair law, which is a huge turnaround. They've come out and said that uh, we support this bill as as written, uh, and uh, we would we, you know encourage it to be backed. And again, it was one of these situations where if you if it passes in California, basically it means that they'll be supporting this idea throughout the country and probably of the world. And uh, so, what do you think of this uh, Apple's change of heart? I think it's great. Um, as cynical as I, I can be about this kind of thing, I, I like that it seems like they're actually taking steps to move in this direction. Um, you can get a lot of first-party Apple uh, parts on iFixit now. they got a lot of guides you can use. And they even talked about uh, the most recent announcement that they've made the back of the iPhone easy to replace, which is nice because that's probably one of oh the main goodness. pieces that breaks. Yes, the back and the front. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if they can make if they can make the screen easier to remove, but not too easy, right? And then the like I remember the earlier iMacs were so easy to repair the oh to get into, yeah, yeah. You just had to have a couple suction cups, and it pulled the magnets, and it was pretty easy to repair. And um, the bottom of it, the RAM was easily replaceable. And then since then, they kind of um, closed everything and glued everything and soldered everything together. Um, and so hopefully this is a true reversal. I know when they first opened up that they were going to be towards right to repair. I think they had like a you could rent a yeah. kit to repair, but it was a thousand dollar deposit or something. No, well, no, no. What it was is they, they make all the tools that they have in the stores available for people to, to get, and they will ship it to you. And you know, you're on the hook for it though. Like if you don't return it, they'll bill you, which is understandable. And, uh, and some of these are pricey tools. I mean, you, when you get the, I, I think it was uh, Mike, a sergeant at, at twit who like, you got the set and it was like all of the, these boxes, these Pelican uh, containers full of these uh, things to do the replacement. And he had some trouble. I think uh, there was like a time limit on how long he could have the tools before he had to return them. And the parts that he needed to do the repair came after the window. You know, so there was, there's a hit, you know, a little trouble in the beginning of the system, but I like the idea. Uh, Frankly, I'd rather just take my phone to the Apple store, but not everyone has an Apple store around them. So, yeah, my my argument is that in the camp of right to repair, right? So we have, we just talked about the Steam Deck's accessibility, right? And I can repair all of that with a standard $15 tech screwdriver kit, right? And I can get into all the parts. The fact that Apple has to send you special equipment to open it. Um, until that changes, I don't really see you as pro right to right to prepare because you're still controlling who has access to repair. I think it's kind of a it's a balancing act because I, I kind of see both sides of the coin because on the one hand, you have the Steam Deck, which is awesome, but it is it's not a sleek device. It's it's you open it up and then there's ribbon cables and it's it's nice because it's a very tinker friendly device, but Nobody can beat Apple 
in terms of a nice, compact, beautifully made, sleek piece of hardware. So you you kind of it's kind of a you've got to weigh your pros and cons. Like I prefer my stuff to be easier to work on, and so I'm willing to accept that my laptops and everything are gonna be they're gonna be more ugly and they're gonna not be as efficient because like with the new Max that system on a chip like if your ram module goes out your whole computer's dead but the trade-off is you get like a macbook air even the m1 macbook air is insanely powerful for what you're getting so it's it's all a, a trade-off yeah I, 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 the, the classic is you know when apple made the batteries non-user replaceable like you know you can't just flip off the back you know, the the battery off the back of the phone like every phone up to that point could do People lost their minds. Oh my gosh! You know we can't change our batteries out and recharge them, and like nobody, you know, nobody's going to go for that. But the fact is, is every other manufacturer went in that direction for a reason because all of the you know buyers, all of the consumers said, "I am willing to make that trade off." I like the fact that that uh, you know the the phone is sleeker, fits in my pocket better, feels better in the hand, you know. I, I like the Steam Deck, but I hold it in my hand and it does not feel like an Apple device in the sense of sleek and solid. And uh, so and like and I agree with you, Jack, it's all about trade offs. And for some things, I'm I'm I the, the MacBook Air is, a, is M1 MacBook Air or whatever the in the M2 is a marvel of engineering. And I can't change a darn thing you know inside of it. But, yep. you know, it. Do, do I want to give though. up that power that that it comes with? I think the convenience of you know of having, being able to fix it myself is outweighed by the value of having a machine like that powerful. Yeah, my M1 is still my favorite device. I mean, yes, but I I can't stand that I can't open it up and soup it up <laughs> even more, right? But <laughs> that we are like the shade tree mechanics who we see all the cars coming out of Detroit or out of Japan, and and it drives us crazy that we can't install aftermarket carburetors on them anymore. You know, it's like I can't, I can't fiddle with it because it's all mm. you know computerized and engineered, and I can't get in there and change things but we wouldn't have cars that get 40 miles to the gallon, <laughs> you know, either. So it's, it's a trade-off. Yeah. Part of me, part of me um, hopes this doesn't get filed in the same column as um, Google being an advocate of privacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apple's not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. That's put, yeah. put it that way. They, yeah. They, it, but it would be the, both the right to repair and also gives the openness of technology so there's a trade-off here also that when you give the right to repair your tech is easier to open thus some of the reverse engineering things become easier too uh, maybe maybe not i i don't i don't know that the apple has given up any secrets by doing this i think and just like i don't think that making it hard to open up the, the device was about keeping secrets i think the they just love the fit and finish and the tight tolerances of making sleek devices and having to design it so that it can be opened by non-experts. That's just that's just the the whole other direction that Apple wants to go. Uh, so I yeah I, I don't I don't know if it's so much revealing stuff as it is just we we want to be able to design things the way we like them. Yeah, I'm I'm not even really an Apple fan, but. 
nobody can beat their devices in terms of how nice they feel in the hand. So it makes sense why they go that direction. So our next headline is uh, an interesting one. This is uh, from the Washington Post. As climate change worsens, military eyes base of the future on the Gulf Coast. This recalls a the situation five years ago when Hurricane Michael hit the northern Florida and uh, the Panhandle. And uh, there's a Air Force base here called Tyndall Air Force Base near Panama City. And they it was basically wiped out. It was apocalyptic. It was thing you know except for the lar- very largest structures wiped down to the foundation it was that was a bad storm i had friends who were down in that area during the storm and it was pretty bad uh the, it was astonishing how how it was well the, out of tragedy comes an opportunity and th- this article goes on and on about climate change stuff in the military but i was really interested about this idea that because they literally had a blank, blank slate to work from they're using this as an opportunity to kind of design the Air Force base of the future. You know, what would it be like to build an Air Force base from scratch with, you know, we apparently have an unlimited, virtually unlimited budget, as Defense Department goes. <laughs> and uh, we can we can have our, you know, our dream because we need this particular base. Tyndall is the location of Tyndall is is vital for the purposes they use it for. Um, and so they're doing things like they have those Boston Dynamics uh, dog robot dogs as patrolling perimeter and stuff like that. But they're also doing things like building hurricane resistant buildings that can stand uh, up to 165 mile an hour winds. It's kind of an interesting article just to talk, talk about and imagine what it is they could do when they don't have all this legacy stuff that they have to keep going as well from, you know, the atomic age. What do y'all think of this article? I think it's cool. Um, again, I I wonder how how much of this follow through is actually going to happen just based on how government projects can get bogged down and kind of just go around in circles and not a lot gets done. But it would be nice because uh, I work uh, sometimes I work out on a military base here and all the buildings are like those old brick block whitewashed buildings that were built in the 50s and 60s and they were building the Saturn V rockets. So it's cool to have that history there, but when you're out there in 90 degree weather in an old warehouse, <laughs> I, I would like some futuristic building that's not going to be so horribly hot. <laughs> right. Part of me goes a little dystopian on here. The robot dogs, every time I see that, um, I think, is it Fahrenheit 451 that the robot dogs chase them down to smell out the books? Uh, I think that. I don't I remember so. that. But that's possible. I my mind goes to the Netflix show Black Mirror, where they had robot dogs hunting humans. So yeah, <laughs> it is a bit dystopian. But uh, as long as they don't mount machine guns on them, that would that's probably the best thing. Uh, but I I just I, I like the idea that we're using some tech. They you know another thing they did was they built a digital a virtual version of Tyndall. Uh, it's like a virtual duplicate of the whole base. Roads, buildings. I'm assuming they didn't use SimCity uh, or City Skyline, but you know they're using you know something more sophisticated. Minecraft, but yeah, my, Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to, they, and then they run it through models. You know what would happen if a hurricane or you know uh, floods or tsunami or whatever. Um, and and I, I like the the idea that they're at least thinking about this stuff. So that's been pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, our last headline is uh, from the Associated Press. And this one says, uh, the headline is, Amazon is rolling out a generative AI feature 
that summarizes product reviews. And so what it does is it it's an AI. It's not a chatbot like 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 that, but it's an AI feature that will take all the reviews on a particular product on their site and pick out common themes and summarize them in a short paragraph on the product detail page. What do you think of that? Like uh, just of reviews in general, but also of the uh, idea of their AI summarizing the reviews for you. Would this be something that would be more useful than reading the actual reviews? What do you think? I think this is something that's going to succeed or fail based on how good the reviews on Amazon actually are. Cause there's a lot of times where you'll click on a product and it'll have like 50,000 five-star reviews and you scroll down and look at them and you know that almost every single one of them is fake. Um, So I I would like to know if the AI can parse out what are actual reviews and what are like just fake reviews that are put in there to Mm -hmm. goose the numbers. Um, But overall, it'd be nice to, I like having like a nice summary of here's the features and here's what people like about it. I think it's a useful thing. So I went and looked on my own Amazon account and at least on my Amazon business account, it's already rolled out on it. And I was looking on, especially pulling up both an area where people are very opinionated, which is um, video cards. (laughs) So I pulled up video cards of ones that I knew to be very poor video cards that claimed to be good. And then ones that were the top of the line and it seemed to hit them pretty right on on what I knew the reviews should be for the video cards. So that was kind of fun to look at to see the knockoffs actually did get like this lags during gaming. So it and it just kind of gave it as a summary, like the majority of the reviewers find that this is a good price, good card for the price for basic computing but seems to lag on the gaming side or things like that and so it it's a nice summary unfortunately it doesn't give you the humor that some of the amazon reviews (laughs) did at times which is part of the joy of amazon reviews is sometimes you come across that one person that these gummy bears saved their life (laughs) or the the one star reviews that are inexplicable in their like the reason why they didn't like the product was, you know, I remember one, it was, it was for a blender and he was like, it didn't work properly when I was holding it in my lap. And I'm like, why are you holding it in your lap? Like what is wrong with you? (laughs) So, uh, but Jack, I agree with you. I think actually the, the better use of AI would be to use it to suss out bad reviews, you know, fake reviews and, and mm-hmm. get rid of them because that's the bigger scourge for me. Like I, I'm perfectly fine looking at a variety of people's reviews and I can figure out which ones, you know, I, I can look at them and go what, after looking at a bunch, I look at a bunch of four and five star reviews and I look at the two star reviews cause I never look at the one star reviews and, and I get, I feel like I get a pretty good honest accounting as long as it's not filled with those junky fake reviews. And that's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with you. I think that would be the thing I would want from Amazon (laughs) uh, more than a summary. You know, I would kind of like to see that on hotel reviews, the AI thing. A lot of hotel reviews are a little more reliable that people actually put reviews on them because they've, you know, it costs you a little more to stay at a hotel than to buy your 
$10 pack of gummy bears. But to be able to summarize the reviews of hotels and just, if a third party service could do that, you can send me a check for my business idea. <laughs> I would, I haven't tried this out, but I would like, I wonder if you could just paste a link to a hotel you're looking at into ChatGPT and ask for it to summarize the reviews for you. It doesn't yet take like links and then go. Oh, look yeah. At them. That's mm. that's the thing that kind of uh, I, I the one thing it doesn't do yet. And I, I wish it, it did or there was another one that would do it because that would really be a leap ahead. Like, look at this Web page and tell me what, you know, summarize it, you know, or summarize all the things at this site or something on those lines would could really be useful. But you just can't do that. yet. it's really all going to come from what it knows based on the what was the, the what was on the Internet two years ago, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of that has to do with intellectual property. I think it's probably more to do with server resources. If I don't think they feel like they could keep up with the demand if they had to be out scraping web pages on a regular basis. Otherwise, they'd be incorporating this stuff into the into the language model on an ongoing basis. But I just don't think they can. It, there's probably a whole process by which they have to build the model, you know, where they have mm-hmm. to um, render it you know, to, to use a certain term, which is probably inaccurate. But, you know, where they have to you know, Compile. incorporate the data and then build the model. Um, yeah. that's, that's been one of the things I've heard about why Siri is not as good as it could be, which is that every, everything it does, every new thing has to be hard coded in, uh, and it's just, a, it's become unwieldy and it has to be replaced. So right as we were talking about this, I went over to Bard, uh, which is Google's, uh, AI that they have, and they have a, they just released a bunch of new extensions and plugins. And one of them is specifically for hotels. So oh. I'm going to play with that and see what it does good idea Mm. if anyone's going to do it it's going to be google i think yeah because they've already they are the search engine um we'll put a link to bard in the show notes very good those are our headlines and that means it's time for our picks of the week and jack it's your turn for your pick this week what's up awesome uh my pick is not anything that costs any money which is nice uh So one of the things that I do envy about Apple users and Apple devices is that everything just works together and communicates together. And if you got a Mac, you get your iMessages on your phone and your watch and your iPad and everything. Um, There is a nice workaround, though, if you are an Android user, is that you can go to messages.google.com and you just connect your phone to that, your Google account there, and you get cross-device texting. Um, All you need is a browser and your phone, and it works really well. I use it on all my computers, and it kind of closes the gap there that Android doesn't really have in its ecosystem. That is great. Yeah, I love the fact that I can sit down on my computer and type out something in iMessages. Yes. Um, I'll still call it iMessages because that's what, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that is, that is a bonus. Cause sometimes you, you need a keyboard. Uh, I'm, I'm not a thumb jockey as much as younger, a younger generation, I suppose. But um, sometimes I just need a keyboard to get my thoughts out. Yep. So, but this looks like a good, good solution. Doesn't cost a penny. Excellent. Father Joseph, what is your pick this week? Mine has to do with a new feature on iOS 17. I was in the beta group, so I've been playing with this for a little while. Um, At first, it was very annoying, but now I actually kind of like it. 
And this is iOS screen distance. And so this is part of the screen time parental control setup. Um, we'll have an article from 9to5Mac that tells you how to set it all up. But what it does is it helps you to keep that arm length distance of your phone from your face. All of us, when we use our phones, I think slowly the phone comes closer and closer and closer to your eyes. And so this um, will come up with a pop-up and tell you that your face is too close to the phone and you have to move the phone away before you can start using the phone again, which is extremely annoying. But then once I've used it for, I think I've had it on there for a few weeks now, it rarely happens to me now. It also stops you from, you have to get rid of some bad habits of, you know, if you're laying down on a couch using your phone, you're probably going to have it not with, at an arm's distance. So it's going to stop you from other bad habits, too, that you probably shouldn't be doing. So it's a free feature. I would personally, I'm using it. It's something, though, I think would be very good to turn on and lock on kids phones, because I think some of the longevity of use themes they specifically talked about this when they're introducing the feature for, for kids specifically because it can cause myopia in developing eyes. You you want to avoid that. Uh, so I agree. When you when you have if you have a, uh, a child on your account, like so you have a family account and you have a child on your account and they update their phone, it sends an email to the account holder, the, the parent usually, which has happened for me, letting you know, oh, this device has been updated. I was 17 and here are the new things in screen time that for you to check out on their device. Uh, and that was one of them. So that that's actually really good. And just to point out, it's not just a parental control. Like screen time is for yourself as well. It's to help you develop good habits and uh, avoid uh, misusing the device uh, in bad ways. What, once one um, piece of pastoral advice for adults here. Screen time is a very good accountability thing for you to, if you're married, to have with your spouse. And if you're not married, maybe a good friend is on those screen time things. You can set parental controls in those. You can set time limits and things like that. And to allow your spouse or someone else um, who keeps you accountable to set the screen time password and for you not to be the one into control of it can really help to curb and cut the narrowcation of sin down. We'll just put it at that. Hmm. I'm not sure how you would set up the password on your own account. It, so when you set it up, it will set up the screen time thing and it asks you for an email address to set it up and you can put an email address recovery separate from your own. Now, there is, you know, it being your own account, yes, it would be fairly easy for you to reset the device on your own doing a few things. But remember that... The other person will know that you've done that. (laughs) Your accountability person, when they ask to see it, their passcode's going to be wiped from that. So they're going to know that you uh, did it eventually. Interesting. Mm -hmm. We'll have to dig into that in some more depth in a future episode because that's interesting. The idea of uh, tech accountability, whether you want to do it or not, and how you would do it in various places. I think it's an uh, interesting topic. So uh, my pick this week is another piece of uh, smart home technology, and it comes from the company Acara, who are 
really good at making inexpensive devices. I have to say like their stuff does not cost very much. This is the Acara vibration sensor and it's less than $20. It's actually has a coupon right now. It's like, so it's like $17 and 90 cents or something like that. Uh, and what it does is it, it, it senses vibrations just as it says. And well, why would I want to do that? Well, there are a lot of places where you want to have a vibration trigger for something. So one of the classics a lot of people use this for is they they put it on their uh, washing machine or dryer. And when it senses that vibrations have stopped, it will can send you a notification. The dryer is stopped. The washing machine is stopped. Um, I know of one automator um, has uh, motion controlled lights in the room. So they have like a motion sensor so that when they're not in the room, it turns the lights off and and whatnot. But a lot of us sometimes sit a little too still at our desk while we're reading or whatever. And we don't move a lot. And the sensor, I had this happen. I used to have uh, light sensors in, in this, uh, this office and it would like turn off the lights in the middle of a podcast or something. <laughs> I'd be waving my <laughs> arm around like turn on. Um, so what she does is she put one of these sensors on her chair. So we all make micro movements when we're sitting in a swivel chair. And so or any chair. And so it sense it was sensitive enough to sense those movements and oh, would keep neat. the lights on. So uh, it, it takes, it, it's, there's a couple of steps you have to take in order to do it. But I just really like this idea of these very innovative, interesting little sensors for measuring our environment for and doing interesting things with it. Uh, I tried doing this with my delivery box outside uh, so that it would tell me whenever it was opened. And so that would presume to mean a package was put inside. But I found that it was way too sensitive that it would anybody who walked by it would sometimes set it off um and then it really didn't survive the winter the you know the massachusetts winter it died pretty bad <laughs> so it's not really an outdoor thing sensitivity wise one of the things i'm thinking that would be useful for it is living in a cold climate you know when i hit the auto start on my car i have to take that extra step to go and open my garage door if i could have a nice automated thing that detects the vibration of my engine for my car uh, like in the garage and opens the garage door but the other side of that is is it going to detect when i shut a door in the house and it vibrates it or the right. wall or something. Right. And so is my garage door just going to be randomly opening at random points <laughs> during the day? So that there has to be a, so I could see a work with it, but I think, is there a way to get it to only respond at certain vibration frequencies? Not this, there's probably stuff out there for that, but they'd be probably more expensive, but that, yeah, I like the way you think it. And yeah, I mean, that that's the sort of interesting, innovative, stuff that is out there and uh and this isn't just a late a laziness thing this is thinking like this is especially thinking of safety of things like so you could think of a lot of things that need to open ventilation based on things so if you could get automation with carbon monoxide things that open windows and things like that you could save a lot of lives oh yeah with home mm-hmm. automation and sensors. And I know I'm not the only one thinking that. So I could see as technology develops on this of a lot of homes being built with this 
reality that fans turn themselves off, window on and windows open based on measurement of levels in houses, which yep. sa- saves lives. Save lives if you, you know a carbon monoxide sensor right now just makes lots lots of noise, but what if it could also turn on a whole house venting system in the attic and crack open some windows, you know, open up and some turn off all your gas and, and vent all that gas out while also waking you up and calling the 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 emergency services? Yeah, I think that would be a great thing. So yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. The, so the Acara vibration sensor is twenty bucks. It does require an Acara hub. Um, so that's, a, that would be an additional expense, but once you have the hub, you can get other things. I have a bunch of the Acara door sensors. So that door and window sensors. So it's like a home, I've created a home built alarm system so that whenever I leave the house, I mentioned this last week and whenever I leave the house, I tell, uh, the Apple lady set house lockdown, you know? And so it's like, sound like I'm like a super villain, you know, lock down the base and it will you know, turn off lights, but also set the alarm system. And then when I come home, it senses that I'm home. I come within the geofence and it actually auto unlocks and turns it off for me. Mm -hmm. So it's a really nice system uh, as long as nobody gets my phone for me. We have an Acara sensor set up in our um, parish hall in the walk-in freezer, walk-in fridge. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a temperature sensor that will send a push notification to our phones when the temperature goes below or Or above. above. Yeah. Uh, sorry, above a certain point. And so it's really nice for us to know someone left the fridge or freezer door open or there is a power failure before we lose hundreds of dollars of food. Right. I might um, get one of those for my freezer because, you know, it sometimes stands open. And it does have a little alarm, but if that it, it doesn't always go off. And sometimes in the middle of the night, you know, someone goes and gets a cup of ice and doesn't shut it the whole way. And I come in in the morning and it's standing partially open um yeah that would be a good thing to have i, I think um, they even make uh they make a leak sensor as well which after my house disaster yep. of a few years ago i got a bunch of those i think that's the previous pick of the week and now there's they sell a mechanical not, not a car but another company sells a mechanical device that attaches to your whole house uh water switch and will turn off the house water when it gets a signal so um it's oh, out nice. there yeah this sort of thing is cool we could probably also you know rig something up to with an Arduino with a pool noodle or something to smack your kid across the back of the head when they leave the <laughs> freezer door open. The the Arduino to pool noodle thing is definitely should be on the list. All right. So those are our picks of the week. Uh, and that's it from us this time. We would love to get your feedback on anything we discussed today. Uh, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Or listen to the show on our YouTube channel, where, which is at uh, youtube.com slash Media. Leave a comment there. You'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash tec227. Until next time, Father Joseph Sun, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. You're welcome. Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest. <laughs>